HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, the best-selling Irish single malt in the U.S. The Sexton is an unexpected modern malt for the everyman, rich in hue, approachable in taste, and memorable in character. Learn more at thesexton.com. I'm HRN Communications Director Kat Johnson with a preview of this week's episode of Meat in 3, HRN's weekly food news roundup. This week, we're focusing on water. You'll hear some disturbing news from an NYC investigative reporter. Here lies the problem, how much we don't know about water tanks. Katie Kiefer reports on water woes in the heartland. Their water is heavily polluted with nitrates, which are coming from agricultural chemical applications on fields and running off into their water table. And we'll check in with Dave Arnold, who's about to open a new bar that will serve some pretty fancy H2O. It is hardcore. So pour up a tall glass of ice water and be refreshed by this week's episode of Meat in 3, available on heritageradionetwork.org, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Allie Kane. Welcome to In the Sauce, a new podcast about building food brands. We live in a culture that romanticizes entrepreneurship and the hustle. But what I really want to hear are the stories from the trek uphill. I want the stories about the bruises and the scrapes we all get as we build our businesses. I want to hear about the roads that led to nowhere and the lessons learned along the way. And I want advice in real time. This is the story of Haven's Kitchen Sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand, because we're all in the sauce. Today, Katie, my sauce co-founder, is here with me, and we're speaking with Derek Quant, Director of Operations at Bonza, those bright orange and yellow boxes of chickpea pasta I'm sure either you've eaten or you've seen at the store. Katie and I are in the midst of trying to hire an operations person, and it's been challenging on a number of fronts. So we'll get to that soon. But first off, hi, Derek. Hey, good afternoon. And um, can you just define operations for me? Because I kind of call it like everything that has to happen to make everything happen. But I don't think that's an actual definition. That That's close to how I describe it. <laughs> oh, good. Um, okay. So when you see the box on the shelf, that's my end. Like we we source the ingredients, we... We find all the packaging solutions, we warehouse, we manufacture, we ship. So, And we also fill orders directly to stores. So all of these things get it to the shelf, and that's that's what we consider operations at Bonzo. That's awesome. So it is kind of getting everything to happen to make everything happen. 
in a way. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, so now that we know what you do, can you tell me a little bit about how you went from selling armored vehicles, I believe it was, to running a gluten-free pasta brand? Yeah, um, great question. Um, so, so I grew up in Michigan, and in Michigan it's, it's very common to, to take the engineering path. Um, so a lot of my friends uh, were um, working in automotive, still are, and that's where I started. Um, and, I, and I happened to have an opportunity to take advantage. I mean, there was a... A few opportunities that came my way that kind of like moved me up very quickly mm-hmm. uh, when I was when I was working in program management, and some of those were related to um, this was like 2006 right. when Humvees were getting blown up in various wars, right. and there was a huge national demand for safer vehicles. So, you know, someone raised their hand and said, or someone said, "Hey, who wants to go to Singapore and manage this project?" And I said, oh, "Well, okay." Right. Um, so I was thrown into this mix, and that was you know I was 25 at the time. Right. Um, so. You know, there was an opportunity there to really grow, and I learned from some really fantastic people there. And you know, after two or three years of of what I considered very exciting things, you start to think about what you're doing and what industry you're working in right. and why. And um, you know, I decided that wasn't for me. So, were you having fun doing the actual? Because it's all. I mean, in a way, getting a box of gluten-free pasta on the shelf and getting an armored vehicle to a country that needs it is not. I mean, they're similar. <laughs> obviously different different means but the idea of getting something made and getting it to someone who needs it is is all sort of a, a similar sort of chain of operations yeah in a way. I, yeah I, I agree completely and and the urgency we had then um, is is not far off from the urgency we had now like right can you do it faster can you can you think of a different way to do it um, you know it has to happen, right? Like things, things in a startup, you have to get things going. So like that urgency I learned from some of the best and that, that is something I did carry on. And was there a fire to put out every day? Literally like, Uh, in fact, literal fire then, (laughs) not, not now, nothing, nothing on fire now, but we did, you know, things like that do happen. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, cause I think that part of, you know, we'll get more into like the nitty gritty of it with Katie, but I mean, I think part of the problem is, is, you know, getting something from an idea to like actually on the shelf or in someone's hands, you know, if, if all things were sort of like calm around it, then it wouldn't be as much of a nightmare. The problem is, is that every day you get something that throws you off of your plan and like an email from someone or something didn't get delivered or something all of a sudden is unavailable or the price or someone's just being a jerk, you know? Yeah. Making plans is not the talent required. Right. Plans are the easiest thing we do. Right. And so after you decided, you kind of took a look around and you're like, maybe I don't want to be doing armored vehicles. Yes. And so then what? Um, then I said, well, you know, what am I going to do now? And I just, I just quit. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. So I quit. I was like, I don't want to do this for sure. Right. Um, by that time, I'd saved up some money. So I moved to Europe, just did you know, traveled around, right. did, did whatever, uh, you know, someone with enough money and time has to do. But I'm at the assuming same- you ate some good food. Yeah, all yeah. all over. I went I went everywhere that that I've always wanted to go. Nice. Um, like like Cape Town, um, Kiev, like places where people are like, oh, you went there? I'm yeah, like, yeah. <laughs> uh, by I choice. I was thinking he was going to say like Paris and Rome, but Cape Town and Kiev, or I guess. Yeah, just Kiev, like right. things that that you know, being exposed to. I was living in Singapore for a while. I had traveled quite a bit for work to you know various various places around the world. So I, I just was looking for something a little different. Right. Um, and the same thing happened. So I said, okay, well, you know. My weakness as a program manager was I don't really understand business. Engineering was kind of 
something I'd learned. The factory floor, interacting with people was fine for me, but I was giving presentations on like finance and I, and I, right. and I was talking to the accountants. I was like, I don't know what I'm saying here. So that's when I went, decided to get an MBA. Right. And then I went to, that's when I went to England to study at the University of Cambridge. Um, and that's really where I got into small businesses and startups and then the building aspect that you mentioned earlier. Right. And so you were, your first startup experience was? It was, uh, it was actually at Raspberry Pi Computers. Okay. Um, which is, um, they have since made, I don't know, 5 million computers that, oh, are, wow. that cost $20. It's really a, a beautiful machine. Oh, um, wow. And yeah, they're, they're very focused on education. Anyway, it's a, that was just a, it's a, in the tech world, it's kind of a world-class startup with a great mission. Great. And that was, and that team was like less than 10 people at the time. So um, did you think you were going to be in tech forever? Um, at that point, it was still like I was helping them with the things that they weren't good at, which was, you know, supply chain and sourcing right. and like, you know, finding a keyboard that is perfect for your user is hard and yeah. finding it at the right price is hard. And so I really built like their purchasing group. Right. Um, so I was doing that. But it was just fascinating that, that at that time, I was, you could say like this computer and this technology was you could see the impact around the world. Right. And that was really something I was like, oh, you can do meaningful things. That was the first time I had a chance to really right. like dive into that. That's cool. And then where did you go after that? Um, so I started my own my own personal training or as a group fitness in, in London, um, did that for almost two years, learned a lot of lessons there. So brick and mortar? It was, we eventually, um, right. at the time we were renting spaces from other facilities and like um, public gyms and things like that. So it was, we had locations, but they, we didn't own them. And did you get to practice your like logistics supply chain skills in uh, that way or not really? No, that was just, that was people. That was interacting right. with people and and that was really my first exposure into food and nutrition because... Right. You know, personal training, you learn, you know, what exercises are, what things are useful. And, and, and we were also endurance athletes ourselves, but people would ask me. Of course. I ask my trainer all the time. I'm like, so for dinner, when I go home and she's like, I'm not a nutritionist. I'm like, I know, but for dinner, I should have protein or I should have carbs or, you know, she's like, yeah. uh, protein. Every day. Yeah. Yeah. Every day. You become a trusted source. And right. then, you know, you start to think like, why are people asking me this? And, and it's, it's confusing. Mm -hmm. Like choosing what to eat is confusing. Yeah. It's complicated. There's not, a, there's no, like, who do you trust right. to receive that? Well, you know, and, and I was, like, it is such a vital part of everyday life. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's when I started to think, you know, food and nutrition is important to, right. to every single person. Yeah. I mean, I think it's, I mean, I try to ask people when they come on sort of what was the, you know, cause food is, it's this very intimate, you know, yes, you're working to make boxes of pasta, but essentially you're going into people's homes every night and, you know, creating their dinner, right? And that's a very intimate act. I mean, and, and I think a lot of us in the food world take that very seriously, and that's why we're in it. You know, people who don't want to be in food aren't in food. You know what I mean? So it's an interesting thing because I was going to ask you just looking at your background, like was it the idea of just building systems and executing projects and finding good solutions to problems that kind of got you attracted to Bonza or was it the pasta? The, the building systems and experience is what made me attractive to Bonza. Right. Um, I was able to solve problems for them and, and, you know, I had manufacturing experience. So immediately I had utility, mm -hmm. but my choice to join Bonza was, was, I think this product is fantastic. Mm -hmm. I, I want to eat it. 
and I want everyone I know to eat it because, you know, it's healthy. It's, we, we, one of our values is food is family. Mm -hmm. Like we, we want people to cook together and eat together. And, um, you know, I, I, it was a great idea. I think it's the right time on the market. So like I wanted to help this brand grow. Right. Um, so it was a, it was a, you know, I, I've done like tech startups and like you, you can make apps and do things like that. And that's something that I talk about with my friends who, when I try to recruit people and, and maybe you found this or you will find, you find just exceptionally bright people and food is not something they immediately are drawn to. Right. Um, we don't, I mean, I think we scream food so loudly in everything that we do that we actually, I think have the opposite where a lot of people come to us and they're like, I love food. Right. I want to, I just want to work with food. Right. You know, we're like, well, what great, you know, what marketable skill do you have? Like, what can, can you do this? Well, no, but I love food, you know? So it's, it, we actually, I think probably have the opposite problem. Right. People keep coming into Havens and all of the interviews are, I love food and I love cooking at home and I love this and I love everything that you guys love. And I have to look back at them and, uh, and, and ask them, I'm like, okay, can you talk to me about your supply chain experience? (laughs) And they're like, well, but I really love food and we're right. like so excited that everyone loves food and we're like, but we need help with our supply chain. That's so good. Yeah. So you have friends that are, maybe you should hook us up with some of those guys though. Yeah. You if know? you can convince them, I haven't been able to. Right. Because uh, they don't want, because it makes them nervous or it's it, just too. Like working at a te- like, like working at SpaceX is a sexy engineering job. Right. Making working, sauce working is not necessary. Yeah, managing sexy. a co-packer right. is a pain. Yes. And, you know, no one really, not no one, but, but again, in my circle and friends, it's like, you know, lunch is lunch. And, right. And there's not, even if they knew, you know, there, there has to be that, again, desire to change it. Like totally. You, you have to be saying, like, you know, what we're eating is very important and I think we can do better and I want to personally contribute to that mission. Like that's, right. that's, that's what you need. Uh-huh. Yeah. So I think we, we're going to take a little break because we have a, like a gazillion questions about actual operations and like really nitty gritty stuff. And I know you have some good advice for us. And after the break, we'll come back and get into all of that. From your childish chest day and by my head to you. I'm Souther Teague of Moria Margo and co-host of The Speakeasy on Heritage Radio Network. This episode is brought to you by the Sexton Single Malt Irish Whiskey, a new and unexpected modern malt for the everyman. The whiskey is made from 100% Irish malted barley, triple distilled for smoothness in copper pot stills, and consciously aged for four years in Oloroso Sherry Butts. My favorite part about the Sexton is that sherry influence from those Oloroso sherry buds. They're the large sherry uh, barrels that have been used. And then the, uh, the whiskey gets aged in them for four years, giving them this sort of nutty, almost savory quality. Um, the copper pot still makes for an extremely smooth finish. Um, I like it in a highball or just neat. Uh, every time I have a sip, I, I want another one. So next time you're gathered with friends or posted up at your favorite bar, reach for the Sexton, the best-selling Irish single malt in North America. You can learn more at thesexton.com. Hi, Katie and I are back with Derek Quant, the Director of Operations at Bonza. So Bonza, if I'm correct, is now the best-selling pasta at Whole Foods. Uh, That is the most recent statistic, yes. That's pretty exciting. And the number two 
pasta mm-hmm. at Target. Nationwide. Nationwide. That's mm-hmm. crazy. And how many years? Uh, we are, I think we're just over three years old as a company. So, I mean, how did you do that? <laughs> like, what? I mean, if I clearly there's like, you know, not one answer, but like, what do you, what would you say are sort of like the reasons why that happened? Like, what did you guys do that just blew it out of the park? Aside from having a great product. Yeah, that's what, that's the first thing. It's like the, the idea and the timing was just spot on. And we're still ahead of the trend in terms of and grocery stores are behind trends. Like it takes a, a long time. Yeah. For We've the, noticed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, so that's it um, for, for, for people. I mean, that, you talked about that before, but people are very important. And the team at Bonza, like, I was like, these people are brilliant. I need to work here and I need to be around this. What was it about them that made you feel that way? Um, they're, they're smart. They're driven. They, they you know, answer questions analytically. Um, you kind of got this feeling that like every day you were progressing, progressing on the mission. So mm-hmm. like it was, it was clear, like we're here to do this thing and we're taking it very seriously and this is what we're doing. Like, do you want to be a part of it? So do you remember your first week of work? <laughs> yeah. What did you do? Uh, I was my first week of work. Um, and so keep in mind, I don't know a thing about pasta equipment. Right. And I, and I barely know a thing about like what a facility, I was shopping for facilities, um, to put our manufacturing facility. Right. Here's a list of what we need, which is things I hadn't like. Oh, this a, is so dreamy, isn't it? I'm looking at Katie and she's like partly excited and partly nauseated because we just need a you. We uh, really do. Well, I, but, I have a very important job yes. to do in bringing yeah. pasta to the world. I but, know. um, yeah, Not I was. Trying to hire, yeah. <laughs> I was. Uh, yeah, you need to find someone who was making arm vehicles like ten years ago. And exactly. Then it, it, right. I'll, I'll ask around. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was. I was looking for a. It was everything I was doing was was very real. And so basically, you got there like, hey, Derek, this is the situation. We can't be producing in our facility anymore. These are the prerequisites for the next facility. Go. Yeah. Call call this person. Uh, go to this place and do a site visit. Right. I don't know how to do any of this, but right. you know, you, you figure it out. Okay. And did that go successfully? It went successfully to steer us in the right direction. We didn't end up choosing any of those um, any of those facilities, but it did it did allow us to kind of get a price point on what's available in terms of space and you know level of readiness. And that's also a decision. I mean, you guys made a decision to actually build your own facility and make your own pasta instead of going to a co-packer or, you know, trying to find someone else to make it for you. Yeah, correct. And, you know, that, that wasn't the obvious choice at the time. Like right. we had to learn that. And um, part, of, part of what makes Bonza special is how you make it. And that's, um, you know, that's eventually what led us in that direction. Right. Interesting. So, Katie, we, we, on the ride over here, we got to talk about so we're trying to hire this sort of third hire for, um, for the sauce company. And we need someone who's analytical, who can kind of look at our olive oil purchasing and say, oh, look, this looks a little high. Here's a problem. We can address it in these ways. But we also need someone to like get on the horn with the distributor and say, you guys have some stock. We need it on the shelves and the freight guy who's like, you said you'd be there, you know, six hours ago, and it's a refrigerated product. So we kind of need this very hands-on, real sort of in-the-sauce person, and we also need someone to kind of look at things high level. And I don't, and I mean, I asked you before we started, like, 
what's the priority? And you said both. Um, so, I mean, how do you, how do we, what should we be looking for? Like, what's a red flag? What's a green light? What's, what do we want to hear from someone in an interview or see from them? Do we put them, do we put some sort of model in front of them and ask them to do something? Like, how would you advise us? Yeah, I think, I think, I mean, we, we make a lot of decisions. It's like, even even people on my staff that come to me like, oh, I have this and this option. Like, what should I do? Mm-hmm. Like, well, did you run the numbers? And then like, well, sort of. But like, okay, do that because in in operations world, like, you can do A, B, C. Like, you can do anything, but you you need to be able to understand what's happening and what we like. If you understand what's happening, you can kind of put numbers to it, and then you like because we we don't want to like everything in operations can be measured. It's not like marketing where you know it's like. Hypothetical, right. or like, what's the impact? Or you're putting some money into something, and you're hoping that in a year from now you start to see some return on that investment. Right, right. This we, is very like we pay people, we pay drivers, we pay supply. Like everything can be modeled for for the most part. So you need someone that can can take those ideas and map them out and get to something that's like A or B. It's not perfect, and it never will be. And that's right. part of it too. Is you need to get to a point that someone can make a decision. And so, you know, usually once you have the numbers or you've done the analysis, the decision is obvious or right. it's close enough. I think part of the problem sometimes is like we don't even know what numbers to look at. You know what I mean? Like we don't even know where there could be a problem that we need to be solving. I think we're both really good at solving the problems. It's that we don't even we need step 1 of like, mm. hey, this is this is costing too much or right. this is Right. And and that just comes from being so new. Like, not because we don't know, but because of absolute bandwidth. Like, we, you know, we know all those things for Havens, because Havens is six years old. But, you know, these few months in, not actually, and this is kind of where we hit our pain point, where we're like, we need to hire this person right now, because we're not being able to track um, and model and manage, because there's, it's, you know, we always talk about how, like, I only have time to manage literally, like, the present moment because you're just putting out the fire and putting out the fire. And I'm sitting here, and it's making me crazy to know that we're not modeling the way we should be and getting our analytics and all those things. And it's there's just not enough hours in the day. And to know that if for some reason we had – if we kept going as we are now, in six months we'd really be kicking ourselves because we didn't have that data and I think that you were one of the first people that really showed me the importance of that data. Like one of our first uh, meetings where you were kind of offering a little bit of advisement, you were explaining like how to measure a promo and how to, and how to measure these things that at first seem um, a little more abstract. And so to just put numbers to everything... Um, How do you measure a promo? I mean, that's a really... So for those of you listening who don't know what that is, basically, you know, grocery stores, not only... You don't just go into a grocery store and, like, put your product on the shelf and then yay, right? A lot of times they expect sort of you to support the brand in other ways and either lower the price to get people interested in it or do demonstrations which where you see people like, hey, try this, you know, and be nice to them, by the way. If you're listening to this and you see someone in a grocery store and they ask you to try the tea or the pasta or the cookie, just try it and be nice. And you don't have to buy it. But, like, it's not that much fun to be that guy or that 
gal. So just FYI. But, you know, measuring the success of them, stores will tell you all the time that they're good, period. You know, they're great. They'll bring awareness. They'll bring sales. But how do you measure that? So so that one's actually outside of what, what I do personally. Oh, so I don't, I don't want to... <laughs> Good question. Go further than I do. But yeah, I know that we watch them very closely because they're expensive in terms of, you know, like time. Sometimes we do our own demos. So there's that energy. um, Mm -hmm. But like, did it work? What was the point of this promo? And then we watch, you know, sales over time to see if it was effective. So yeah, it's not just something that you should do because your distributor says it or the store says it. Like you should do it if it increases your sales right and ideally for a long period of time not right. just for not that just weekend bump. or whatever right. that might be yeah exactly mm-hmm. so if, if as we're looking at these at these resumes and we're meeting with people there there's definitely like people who fall on the side of nitty-gritty supply chain logistics make the phone calls people and then there are people that fall more on the they'll do that but they're also probably a little bit more big picture analytics looking at it sort of from a little higher level What's your advice? I, I would say that the the running the numbers, the making the model, that is all a actually like a recent privilege that we've gained because right. we have a bigger team and some stability. Right. A year ago, two years ago, no, we were we were right where you are. Where right. oh, that's good to know. Like at that at that point, I would hire some like the things that the things that I think are most we. We are the squeaky wheel for everyone that we deal with. Right. Like our supplier, like our suppliers know us. We ask absurd questions all the time. We drive for things that are not normal. But you need someone that can pick up the phone and ask a difficult question. Right. Every single day. Yeah. I like that. That's a great. That's actually the, that's what should be the whole job description. Can pick up a phone. Can you pick up a phone and ask a difficult question every, because it is, I mean, we, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to piss anyone off, you know? I mean, and this is the thing Katie came home, I guess, from talking to you and she's like, talk about your, your, I mean, it's going to be hard to talk about like net terms and things like that without completely confusing people. But basically there's always like a little bit of a discrepancy between when you pay for your ingredients or your packaging and when you get paid for your product. And so trying to have as much cash as possible in between those two things is, is part of running the business well. Can you just talk a little bit about how you kind of deal with that and why sure. you're the squeaky wheel? Yeah, so, so um, there's kind of like two worlds that we, we live in. One is like the scrappier side. And these are suppliers that have like something we need that I can't get anywhere else and I have to deal with it. And sometimes I have to manage them and I have to just call them every day and say like, Where's this? Where's this? Where's this? Like that's right. that's like when I have to, but when I want to, and when we find the good suppliers that we keep, they believe in Bonza. The first thing that we that we sell on any supplier is listen, we're small, we're scrappy, but we're growing, and here's how. Right. And so once they buy into that idea, once they believe into the project, like they will work with you on the things that are difficult for you, including like packaging. Yeah. guys and right right like you can um there's like a few aspects of it one is 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 payment terms so like you know can we can we wait longer to pay for this stuff because we don't have a lot of cash right and we you know have you ever tried that (laughs) we we have only ever been in the situation where we need this thing right now and as soon as you find 
the guy or the gal that has it, you're like, great, give it to me. And I'll pay it. for it right now. And I'll right. pay for it. All cash. I'll pay for it right, right now because we need to get it back on the shelf and stay on the shelf. Right. Um, so we're soon, we're, we're headed towards uh, the zone where we get to start, you know, making different decisions there. Right. But in the beginning, it's all about just keep moving forward, yeah. as you know. And it, and it will be for a while. Right. Um, and, but if you, if you find that supplier that, that believes in you, mm-hmm. um, you know, things like we're going we're gonna to build 90 days worth and store it for you. Right. And you won't pay until we deliver. Right. Like that's, that's awesome. That's pretty absurd. Like yeah. free warehousing. No, that's amazing. You know, volume discount buys, like yeah. things like this. Like, but if you ask that to almost any supplier, they'll laugh you out the door. Right. Like, well, come on. Are you kidding? Like, you, you, you're so small. Like, this isn't a big revenue source for us. Um, like, those kind of things are difficult to ask. And, right. And, like, that's one of the difficult questions is just, like, you have to play big. Right. To, to get there. Like, that's, like, mentally and, like, you sell that to them. Like, we're going to be a big deal. Right. Like, you want to be on our team. Yeah. I mean, I think I think it's also easier when you genuinely believe that, you know, which is probably, if you don't, you should not be doing this. I mean, period. Right. I mean, I always ask people, like, what do you wish you had known? I think w- w- what everyone needs to know about starting any food business is if you don't think it's going to be big and I mean big, right. It can't just be like, it's a nice, you know, cause it, that's just not worth it. It's not worth the money or the agony really. I mean, in my opinion. So tell me some advice. Um, so a lot of those I've already incorporated, but the, the, the other thing that, I, I think the scrappy, like, hands-on person is definitely what I would go for a shorter because right. the other things that I say is, like, like if you need to hit a target, like, shoot 50 times. Like, okay. Because the first, like, you don't know, like, the things you don't know are endless. So, like, all right, we're going to try this. Okay, that seems, like, if you just sit back and say, okay, that seems fine, we'll figure it out, like, we'll work with them, like, you're going you're gonna to lose that battle. Like, sh- like find plan B, find plan C, find, find plan D, like all of them right. all the time, assuming they're all going to fail. And like, eventually some of these will start to play out and they'll start to work. And like, you'll know that you have the answer somewhere. But like, initially you have to assume everything is going to fail and right. you need like a thousand options. Right. And it's amazing, like in the world of being a chef, you make a plan and you execute it. And in the world of operations um you make a plan and you never use it you definitely use like plan x y or z and the days that you use plan like s t or u you're like really excited (laughs) right um but i think also i mean as i've talked to like different funders where they're looking at companies what they're looking for isn't a company that can execute the plan that they made what they're looking for, it seems to be, are the companies that can be completely like turned around upside down and then still find a path, you right. know, that like nothing looks like the plan that they made three years ago or five years ago. There's a general idea. You're not now going to not make gluten-free pasta, right? But chances are that things have changed a lot of times and it's the people that can be really flexible and figure stuff out along the way. Right. Right. And so speaking of flexibility, I actually have a, a question because now you, um, oversee a lot of the production, um, at the plant. You'll go there, you'll make sure everything's like is, is running smoothly, but you're not 
by training, you're not a you're not a trained pasta maker, and this is a hat that you have like picked up and learned and clearly like understand now, and so that's it's a very interesting thought that goes through my head a lot that you know eventually, and I don't know if it's sooner or or later, but you know someone will be kind of advi- like will be overseeing these producers on the sauces and from a very logical standpoint at first it makes a chef very nervous to be like okay you're gonna you're gonna be controlling production of the sauce but I but you seem to do it very well so how did that all come to be so I think that I mean in our case we have a trained pasta master yeah. at our factory every day right yeah. um, and that's that's why we you know that was a big part of like why we had our own factories, we had the right people right. that knew how to make it. And, uh, you know, that, that tipped our decision one way or the other. But right. I think you can find that talent that says, you know, like for sauces, there are people in the United States and the world that can help you make industrial, you know, sauces. Right. right. And you can find them and they'll help you. And like that might not be the hardest part. Right. Um, it. I think once you found that person or found that right, like right. I think that will come. Yeah. Um, but yeah, for us, that it did. You know, we did find the right person um, pretty early on. Do you remember having like a hell week, or more than one? Yeah. Like, give Clearly. me an example of a hell week, uh, and then how did you come out of it, and what did you learn, and what you know, what lessons did you get out of it? Sure. Yeah. This. Um, there have been. Let's like. There was a time that, like one of our one of our one of our pieces of equipment was down, and so we, you know, the first like also like, I don't necessarily like you can't always trust what people are telling you. Right. Um, well, we've learned that too. Yeah, and I, and I don't mean this like in a negative way. No, it's, but like yeah. things that you don't understand, um, like you have to understand them. You have to yeah. like figure it out, and you have to have like some knowledge that says like, okay, now I get it. Like, okay, our machine is broken. Why? And yeah. then, like... Someone's going to say why, but you have to actually go in there and figure out why. Yeah, like, we, right. order, we ordered this part. It's going to show up next week. Like, okay, well, which part? What does it do? Right. Are you sure? Mm-hmm. Like, those kind of things. And then, like, eventually we found out that, like, oh, that wasn't the problem. Right. But only because we went there and asked all these questions and, right. like, talked to people on the phone. And then once we realized that, we're like, oh, this is a problem. And so we, you know, we... We literally drove that part to a factory, like, in a different state. Right. Because we couldn't find a truck that went in time. And, like, we're driving, like, through a snowstorm to get this part. And then as soon as it's done, we turn around and drove back. Right. Because production was down. And right. we didn't, like, have anything else. So, like, that's what I mean in terms of, like, hands on at first. Well, that's kind of my favorite part about you, Katie. Like, I... I think that there are different personality types and there's definitely the personality type that hears that the machine is broken and they've ordered the part and that, and you're like, Oh, okay. You know, that's a bummer, but they ordered the part. So we'll just, and then there's the personality type that like wants to know the item number and like the, you know, where the parts coming from and where the parts going. And that's definitely your personality. Right. Um, which I think causes you a lot more angst. <laughs> um, because you are asking those questions, but that's why, I mean, there's no one better to be like at the helm of this than you. Right. Really. I mean, I think the, one of the first moments as we realized how fast this thing was going and growing, um, I had this like, just like, I was deeply overwhelmed by this idea that here we are 
and we have these these fresh sauces in these pouches, and we had applied um, a new kind of a new kind of process, and both to the pouch and this new kind of process that we applied to making the sauces. I remember like coming into work one day and being like, "I need to become an expert on both on on right. everything that has to do with a plastic flexible packaging pouch, right. and on this new process right. that even like the most like up to date food scientists right. aren't even in agreement with yet on the science." And I was like, "I need to know everything about them right now." And I went down like the Google rabbit hole of like looking f- about HPP, and no one really there's not actually enough information out there for there to be anything really that you can sink your teeth into. So you I mean, I was calling a friend's dad. who was like a, a bio, whatever. And like another, you know, I mean, you're just trying to find this information. I think I get tired and sad and then, and you just keep, you just keep I, going. Yeah. Yeah. So we and need to find like a mini you. Really. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. Like every, you, it's, it's one of my favorite things actually about me is my like endless need to know everything that I don't right. know. And that actually includes everything about everything. Right. Which is, which is healthy, Katie. <laughs> but Derek, go on. So, okay. So there's like, learn, learn the details because not that you can't trust people, but fundamentally they're, they're not necessarily going to tell you everything you need to know. So you need to know what questions to ask and how to probe. Like your company's fate depends on it. Right. With like, that level of urgency. Yeah. yeah. And then what's another good one? Um, for, for someone joining the team? Yeah, or for you. Like, what do you, what do you feel like are you, the reasons that, you know, why you're so successful at this? Because clearly you're really good at it. We're, yeah, we're getting there. Um, you know, at, like, it's, as an operations person, working at a startup can be uncomfortable. Um, because what, what we are trained to do is build a system, improve the system like incremental steps, like over time, improve your quality, improve your process, lower your costs, these like incremental steps all the time. What we do and what like growing companies will do is you'll build a system and then you will blow it into pieces all the time and make a new one Mm -hmm. because you're growing to those like, there's no clear levels, but you're growing up like day by day, bit by bit. And so like, that's very uncomfortable. Especially for like a full on analytic. That's right. why you need an analytic who's also like comfortable operating. Yeah. Because right. they, they, they can't handle when their model is broken. It, it happens all the time. Right. And it's still like, I, I still don't like it. But like the other part of that is that my primary goal is not like we, we could save money on, the few, on a few things. Like if we did this better or this better, if we had a good purchasing contract on this item, like there's money on the table. But, right. the, but that's fine. Like my primary goal is to support the machine of growth and support sales. Right. So like when sales, you know, our sales team comes to me and says, Hey, we want to do this like tiny little promo. That's going to make your world like really complex for what seems like no reason. Like operations, like my brain's like, no, that's dumb. Like let's, let's shelf that for later. Right. um, But like, those are kind of things you have to say yes to that. You have to say like, okay, this is going to be painful, but this is like the future of Bonza. We need to take these opportunities. That's so funny because that was actually one of my questions because it feels like operations and marketing sort of exist in these two different worlds. There's like the make the system and then there's like, let's do, you know, this beautiful thing. And sometimes they feel like they're a little bit at odds. But I think that the really great companies are figuring out a way, obviously, to maximize where those two things overlap. So for you, the secret is like listening a little bit and sometimes doing the stuff 
like trusting that the marketing people kind of know what they're doing and that the ideas guys are right about something, even if you can't measure the return on the investment. Correct. Yeah. Like things that will disrupt operations, like, like you have to just take, like we say no to a lot of stuff. Like, yeah. like don't get me wrong. Like uh, that sent that sounds silly. Like maybe later. And then like those, a lot of things fizzle out, but like right. if you say no to keep the system alive or if you say no, because like it's harder, like, that you you can't be in a growing company. You have to you have to accept that challenge. And do you mean in terms of like partnerships and collaborations and those things, or you or, know, say no to? Yeah, yeah, or like events or right. like custom custom SKUs or like right. um, you know promos on items that you're tied on. Like, which you know it doesn't doesn't really make sense. But like if we land this right know, six months from now, everything's going to be a lot better. Right. So th- you have to think, you know. All, all over. Okay. So if you were writing a book, which by the way, I think would be a good book. So I think at some point you should write this book because I think a lot of people, you know, I feel like startups these days, especially in food less now, now moving into more like wellness and beauty. But I, I really feel like a lot of us get sort of overcapitalized and under incubated. I feel like there's a lot of money from, you know, from investors that's like, yeah, that's a great idea. But a lot of times getting those businesses really well functioning takes a lot. And, it, and, and a lot of businesses I've seen, either they don't have any money to do anything or they have a lot of money and they don't spend it super wisely. And then they end up kind of getting into a little bit of trouble. So I do think that there should be a book on operations. You know, and I think that I'd like to just know a couple of your chapter titles, if you will. <laughs> um, well, I I think like it's going to be messy now, but just track track everything. Track everything. Anything. It's like it's like the most boring piece of advice I could give. No, but, like, it's not boring at it's all. Great. If you ship it, like how how expensive is it to open a new Excel and make a list and save it? Like zero dollars. Right. So just like if you ship something, write it down, and if you buy something, write it down, and like. Your systems will track this, but like where you things get lost is like between systems, right. or like if so. Like I ordered cooler bags to send out pouches, and I just put it on my credit card. Does that need to go somewhere? Yeah, everything. Yeah, track okay. everything. <laughs> right. mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what you mean by track everything, or yeah. like the T-shirts for right. the well, fancy I mean, food show with the booth number that we'll never be able to use again because of the booth number. Right. right, and it's interesting how I mean it's like the. There's a theory in in management, uh, in business school, that uh, just the theory of measurement. Like, if things that don't get measured don't get done. Right. And so if it's, it's, I love the way you said, like, things get lost between the systems. Um, But if you measure them or track them, then they're going to become a useful piece. And I think that's where, that's where we know, you know, we've been talking a lot lately about where in the business do we want to invest time and resources and money. And we keep coming back to, like, we only need to invest into operations right now. Right. Um, and so, because things aren't getting tracked and things aren't getting measured. And I guess to that, I do have, I have a question for you because um, your brain works in some similar ways that my brain works. And I, so I love like watching you process things. And I, I wondered if you had drawn any parallels between operations, engineering, and fitness training and oh, what the, that's and, such a good question and what those might be yeah well, the body is a system exactly right. yeah actually we um 
I, I, this is from my, my co-founder, Dave, but like, I, I can't, let me remember, but it was um, like long-term goal, right? Like if you're, if you're completing a triathlon or especially an Ironman, like it's hard, right? There's a long-term goal, but every day something comes up. So short-term flexibility and then just never, ever quit. Mm. Yeah. Like those are the, like if I relate business to fitness, those are the three things, long-term so planning, cool. short-term flexibility, never quit. Awesome. That's amazing. What's the most fun you've had? Like what's, what have you, have you ever gone home from work and been like, that was a really fun day? Like, or yeah. the, the, the wins. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes you win and it's, it is awesome. Uh, in operations, like when you, <laughs> it's like the silliest wins to anyone, but like when you're short on pasta and then you walk into a warehouse full of pasta, like yeah. one month later, that's the best. You're just like, I can't believe there's so much pasta here. Yeah. Like, look at, <laughs> we did it. Um, or if you get like. Like, we can move the bottom line with some good, like, if we find, like, if, if you gamble a little, like, if you, all right, let's, let's try this other supplier, or let's, right. like, do this thing differently. And then, you know, you save, like, tens of thousands of dollars on that. You're like, wow, I, all right, we can, right. you know, it kind of offsets all the times when you're, like, pay more to ship it, or, like, you know, cost of papers going up, things kind of things. But, like, you can, you can win, and, like, it feels pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's kind of, and the wins are all different. Like, it's the least boring job probably in the world because just every day there's, like, a new thing to deal with to some extent. Every right? day. And, yeah, I mean, for me, like, the biggest wins, like, the times that I'm the happiest is, like, when someone on my team follows a process and does it right. Like, yeah, it seems so simple, but when you're working with files and numbers all the time, like, putting something in the right folder and, like, saving it down and, like, making sure, like, your back end is correct. Yeah. Like, like you can lose stuff in email. Like you have to save it in the right, you have, you to, have to go on Slack, Katie. I would, no, I would not say that. <laughs> okay. There you right. go. Oh, thank you so much, so, Derek. Like, she's texting me things and I'm like, I, it's going to get lost or, you know, on an email. So you don't use Slack. What do you use? We, we do, but uh -huh. anything that has a future value never lives on Slack. You have to save it in a file. Right. Yeah. Like a Dropbox. Like a Dropbox. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Dropbox yeah. is really where the important stuff goes. Where it's at. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so final question unless you have other chapters that you'd like to share with me. We covered most of them. Okay. Um, what should people know when they're deciding to get into starting a food company? What would you say? Um, does that, whatever you want to do, and, and this is like, we're like thinking big and like, does that need to exist? Mm -hmm. Is that, does the world need that thing? Um, like, I feel like, I feel like we've got a lot of things. I think the grocery store is changing and that's, that's important, but like, if you think that whatever you're building is something that the world needs and is good for, you know, everyone, like, th does it make it easier for people to eat better? Like, for me, it's like, what are you doing and why? And if you right. can say, like, I I'm making this thing because, you know, people need it, um, like, then the rest of this will fall into place. You'll Aww. find the right people. You'll make the money. Like, it, it just make sure that you're doing something that needs to exist. That's what I would say. Right. I love that. that I, I love that. Feel really good. I mean, I love that too, and it reminds me of like the f the time that I heard that Derek had come in to Havens and taken a cooking class, and was like, "Hey, I hear you guys are like doing a CPG thing. Um, do you ever need anything? Reach out." Oh my gosh! And when I found out that, my first email to Derek, which I'm sure you remember, was, "I'm so sorry, I have to do this, but I'm literally Bonza's." biggest fan <laughs> because as everyone knows like bonza is like one of my top three favorite things on the planet yeah and like as i told you that really cheesy email like it literally gives people pasta back 
Right. Because you get pasta back in your everyday life and it makes you feel amazing and you don't get the gluten crash and all the things that come with that. And it is just so good. If you want to use It Gives You Pasta Back, we, we are happy to enter into some sort of like a collaboration. Or we have, uh, on some of our packaging, we had Pasta That Loves You Back. Right. Um, oh. That's good. So we, we've gone down that road before. Okay. All right. I just, yeah. I'll so be I, your agent. But yeah, <laughs> but I, th- I think that like such a good advice, like does the world need it? Right. Like the world needed Bonza when Bonza came along. And I would like to believe that the world needs need sauce. sauce. Yeah. And sauce love. They need a better sauce than what exists. And Absolutely. I think that's what we're creating. Yeah. Um, so thank you, Derek. Oh, thank you for sharing all of your operations and logistics stuff. Everyone go check out Bonza. If you haven't eaten it yet, you should. That's just that's straight just up. It's just that yeah, good. It's just that good. Um, it happens to be really good with our romesco sauce also. Absolutely. Um, David, our engineer, thank you so much for another great day on In the Sauce. And um, we'll check you out next time. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.